Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And this was the word of the Lord. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here. Now, here's what I need you to do right out of the gate. We're going to get a little bit active here on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I need you to play with me here, okay? So, here's what we're going to do. If you know your great-grandparents, stand up, please. That's good. Okay. Out of this group, now... If you know your great-great-grandparents, remain standing. Okay, look around the room. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to try to work in some sort of obligatory Mother's Day thing in this sermon. (laughs) Try. But it may not happen. Give me grace. We've been in the book of Luke. Thank you, Jess, for reading that. And we know if you've been with us in our first 10 parts of this that we've talked heavily about the upside-down kingdom. Jesus comes, and it's just everything is just not exactly how we would have expected it. Right? Last week, Daniel talked about authority and that God being sovereign over all, and he has this authority. And here we are in Luke chapter 5 where we find the most detailed account of Jesus calling his first disciples. Now it's likely that you're gonna say, sweet, that's what we're about here at Hill City. This is gonna be a discipleship sermon. It's gonna be a sermon about making disciples. I love where your mind went, if that's where it went. That's not where we are gonna go today. We're gonna have plenty of chances for that, but but there's something that I believe is, is foundational very important that we need to make sure we see from this text before we start diving and talking about making disciples. So as we looked at this most detailed account of Jesus calling his first disciples, one through three, it says, on occasion, on one occasion the crowd was pressing on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, and he was standing by the lake 
of Gennesaret. Now, here's the thing. That's the Sea of Galilee. Everybody say that with me. Sea of Galilee. Sea of what? Hmm. See, that matters. This is where Jesus does his first recruiting. And Luke makes something very clear right out of the gate. Wait, wait. Galileans. You said recruit and Galileans in the same sentence. That's not how this is supposed to go. Galileans? Just to kind of paint this in some modern day scene, this would be similar to like a college football coach recruiting, but instead of going to like Texas or Florida or California or, or a big school in Oklahoma, right? He's going to go to a hayfield in southwest Missouri and find a 15-year-old kid who dropped out after the eighth grade and say, hey, I want you to come play quarterback. That's kind of what we see Jesus do in this narrative. And it doesn't make any sense. And here's the thing about these fishermen, right, that we see in this first three verses. Because it says, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put down or put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, here's the deal about these fishermen. They knew Jesus. It wasn't like it was just stranger. They're like, this guy's asking me to get in my boat. This is weird. Okay, go ahead and jump in. No, no, they knew of him. They knew him. There's an account in John chapter 1 where we know there was a connection already, but it was a very casual connection with Jesus. Like they didn't know exactly who Jesus was. They knew of Jesus. They did not know Jesus. That's okay. They were busy. They were working, right? They were washing their nets. They'd been fishing all night, didn't catch a whole lot. They were washing their nets. They were hard working. No big deal. Here's where we stop. And if there's nothing else you get today, I want you to get this because I'm going to say it over and over and over. That it was Jesus who initiated the encounter. I'm going to say that one more time, or maybe 30 today, I don't know. But it was Jesus who initiated the encounter. Fishermen, just common folk, hardworking, ordinary, sinful and alienated from God. And it was God who initiated. See, Luke, in this detailed account, is showing us that Jesus initiated, and he does it all through Luke. If you've studied Luke at all, the key verse in all of the book of Luke comes in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Notice it doesn't say the son of man came to save the lost. See, Luke's more detailed than that. The, the son of man came to seek and then to save the lost. See, it's Jesus who initiates. We should allow this passage to remind us that it was God who intervened. 
This is a pattern that is established in the book of Luke, and it is a pattern that still exists in 2018. Make no mistake about it. It is God who initiates. See, here's the thing. There's a passage we read quite a bit, and I'm going to go to it. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. If you remember last week, Scott uh, read this during worship. Let me explain this encounter. You can go all throughout Scripture, and you can find how God initiates. But Ephesians 2 paints a a phenomenal picture of this. It says this, and you were dead. That's you and me. We were dead. And see, dead people can't do anything. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power in the air. This is all truth about us. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the truth of everyone in this room. It could be that that was our past. It could be for some of you that is the present for you. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. Let me say it a different way. But God initiated. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Point, God initiated. See, the more I'm aware of God's initiative in my life, the more I am stunned by his grace. The more I am aware of God's initiative in my life, the more and better I see the security of the love of God. The more I'm aware of God's initiative in my life, the more real Romans chapter 8 becomes where it says this, Paul says, I am convinced, and I will echo Paul, I am Brad, and I am convinced also that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Anybody coming here worried today? Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above Or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here's the reality. We can't be separated from it because we did not initiate it. So let me talk to the people in the room that just might be in a season of like doubt or skepticism or failure. You can't be separated from the love of God because he initiated it. And whatever season you are in, he is in with you. I want you to take hope in that this morning. He is the initiator. This is fantastic news. It is the good news. It is the gospel. 
Verse four, so Jesus initiates the encounter. In verse four, and we had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down my nets. Now, here's, here, here's what we see on the surface here, okay? We've got this carpenter turned rabbi who steps out of his lane and starts to tell professional fishermen what to do. He says, let down your nets for a catch. Now, here's the thing we got to notice. We, we, I don't want to miss this. This isn't the first time, even in this narrative, where nets had to be put down. Right? Because in the first three verses, said these fishermen were cleaning their nets. Right? They're cleaning their nets. They've been fishing all night. They're cleaning their nets. And Jesus comes up. He says, hey, push, push me out. He gets in their boat. Push me out here. So imagine fishermen been working all night. They've got work that needs to be done. They're cleaning their nets. And this guy comes up, hey, I need you to quit cleaning your nets. I need you to put those down and push me out in the water. And then a second time, he tells them something to do with their nets. Let them down. Have a catch, he says. And Peter says, Master, we've toiled all night. Now, let me note this. We're going to come back to this. He addresses Jesus as Master. The word there is epistatis. Doesn't necessarily matter to us greatly, except for that's just a, that's just a respectful term that you would call someone that, that might be like an overseer. Just note that. Note that he was addressed, epistatis, we fished all night. Why would you tell us to do this? Back to the nets. So here's what we've learned about the nets. They had to put nets down to push Jesus out into the lake or the Sea of Galilee. Then Jesus tells them, let down your nets so that you could have a catch. And here's what we know. As long as they held those nets, they would have never experienced Jesus. Like as long as they held those nets, they never would have known freedom. As long as they held those nets, they would have never impacted the world. My question to you this morning is this. What nets are you holding this morning? It's like, what are you talking about? Because like, here's the reality, like, Here's Jesus, and, and all of us have this thing we're holding on. Our narrative here at Hill City is this. When we come to Jesus, we want to come open-handed. We don't want to hold on to anything. Like, this, this is us. This is our posture before our King, Jesus. Our life is yours. But could it be that some of you are still holding on to your net? It could be a relationship. It could be your own personal goals and dreams that God isn't really included in. Could be your job status that you're holding on to. I could never just fully follow Jesus because the type of job I have just 
just can't really do that and succeed. It could be a reputation that you're holding on to. I have a reputation here, and if I, if I really submitted and put down my net to follow Jesus, it would just change way too much. And I'd argue you are right. It would change. But at your word, I will let down the nets, Peter says. And if you go on to verse 6, it says they let down their nets and they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in another boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So we see a miracle. He tells them to let down their nets. They catch so many stinking fish, their nets are breaking and their boats are sinking. We see a miracle, but what is it that we really see? We see that Jesus, first of all, initiated the encounter, and then we see Jesus reveal who he really is. See, this is not just some carpenter turned rabbi that teaches really well. See, this Jesus revealed that he was the creator of the fish and the creator of the sea in which they swam. And he revealed himself to these fishermen. Like Peter and these fishermen didn't see Jesus and say, hey, like, do you know the fishery port? Like, are we missing something here? Like, can you, is there a place where fish are biting in this sea of Galilee? They didn't ask him. They're cleaning their nets. They didn't want to hear from some carpenter. They're professional fishermen. But it was Jesus who initiated He revealed himself. And it's a pattern that continues in 2018. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So upon recognizing the reality of who Jesus is, this led Peter to a right view of himself. See, Peter was aware that he had seen God and in return knew that God saw him. Peter became aware like this Jesus that he encountered. Holy cow, he, he could see below the surface of this sea and he knew what was in the depths of this sea. And if that was true, then Peter concluded, and rightly concluded, he can see the depths of my soul and he knows what's there too. And look at Peter's response. 
depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He didn't call him master this time, did he? It wasn't just this respectful term of an overseer. He knew who he saw. The word there is kyrios. It's not epistatus anymore, it's kyrios. And it's the same word that we see in Philippians chapter 2 where the Bible tells us this, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is kyrios. He is Lord. And Peter recognized it upon knowing who he saw, upon knowing that he saw God, he got a right view of himself. It was an appropriate response when Jesus revealed himself. Now, we have a chart. I want to show you this chart because if you guys know, we talk about this green book all the time around here, right? If you haven't heard us talk about the green book, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you for visiting Hill City today as we talk about the green book all the time. But in our discipleship process, we talk about this. And as we grow in awareness of God and who God is, that's going to give us a right view of ourselves. Then we should grow in awareness of ourselves. And when both of those things are simultaneously happening, what should happen in our life is that the gospel just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And we become more and more stunned, stunned by the grace of God. Peter's response was appropriate. These were Galileans. Like Peter and his fishing partners were Galileans. They were outsiders. If you're visiting here today, let me tell you where you are and who you are with. You're at Hill City Church. We're just a room full of outsiders. That's who you're worshiping with today. These fishermen didn't know enough about Jesus to follow him. Man, I just, I just don't know enough yet. Like, these fishermen, they weren't raised in Sunday school. They didn't know all the answers to the questions. It's funny how we can go there sometimes, right? I've talked to a lot of people. Man, I want to follow Jesus. It's like, I just don't know anything. I wasn't, I wasn't raised in church. Like I, it's all kind of weird to me. You are right where God wants you, Galilean. You're worshiping with outsiders this morning. Praise God. Knowing enough Or being raised in sun, like these aren't prerequisites to following Jesus. Let's not make them prerequisites. But Peter did come to a right conclusion and a right response. But we definitely have to look at the response of Jesus in response to Peter. This is huge. Peter says, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And you go down to verse 10. And can we just for a minute talk about what Jesus' response wasn't? 
So here you have Peter. He is wrecked. He knows what he just saw. He's on his knees before Jesus, scared out of his mind. What have I just seen? This has never happened on the Sea of Galilee before. There is no story in history about breaking nets and fish and boats sinking because we caught so many fish. This person is not just a normal person. This is Lord. And he's on his knees before Jesus, depart from me. I am a sinful man. But let's talk about what Jesus' response was. It It wasn't this, darn right you're a sinful man. Now let's get it fixed so I can do something for you. Depart from me, O Lord, I am a sinful man. Well, it's about time you learned that. I've been trying to get your attention for years. Depart from me, because I am a sinful man, O Lord. Yeah, let me tell you really how sinful you are, because I don't even think you realize it. That's not where Jesus went. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Here's a two-part response from Jesus. And I can imagine that he didn't just stand there like this as Peter's groveling. But the pattern of Jesus, as we will see as we continue to study Luke, is probably one where he crouches down and he gets on Peter's level and he says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Probably touched him on his shoulder. Don't be afraid. Some of you in here are on the brink, I know this. Like I know some of your stories. See, God has initiated something in you. You didn't initiate it. God initiated something here. He's revealed himself to you. He has drawn you to himself. That's how it works, just so you know. He has drawn himself or drawn you to himself. He has initiated And here's the reality, you're you're a little bit afraid of it. Like, like I can come to church, like, I I can dive into church. That's a a good, like, Midwest moral thing to do. That's good, but this whole, like, completely, totally, utterly, like, follow Jesus with everything, that's scary. Jesus would just pull up a chair beside you, and he'd say, hey, Don't be afraid. And the second part of this response is he tells Peter, hey, from now on, you'll be fishing for men. Well, this call was extremely unique because we can see the same account written in Matthew where Jesus, Matthew wrote it this way, where Jesus encountered these fishermen. Then he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now here, we gotta look at this call because this is extremely unique. Jesus does things very differently. This is totally foreign to any entry into any rabbinical school of his time. Like entry into a rabbinical school was largely dependent 
upon the pursuit of the student. But remember, everything is different with Jesus. And here's how this kind of worked, just to paint a picture. So rabbis, here's what they would do. They would agree to take on a student or a disciple who was already in rabbinical school. But even when they were in rabbinical school, they had to be good enough for this rabbi to pick them out and say, yeah, I'll work with you. So you had to be good enough. And it's not that Jesus was like, well, I'll go to rabbinical school and pick all the guys that aren't quite good enough. He, he, he didn't even do that. He went and said, I'm going to go find the dropouts and I'm going to grab them because everything is different with Jesus. So, they, so, so, so a rabbi would go to these schools and they would, they would say, yes, this one's good enough. Now come with me and we're going to go study the Torah, which the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. And then this rabbi would say, you know what, I will teach you what I know about the Torah. And they would spend hours and hours and hours studying the Torah and discussing the Torah. But it was largely dependent upon the pursuit of the students. This Jesus pursued his disciples. And he did it outside of the school. See, he went to get the outcasts, the outsiders. And his call was different. It wasn't, let's go study these five books. He says, follow me and I will change you. See, his call was not, hey, once you're good enough, like once you reach this certain level, then I will invest in you. It, it, like Jesus' call wasn't like, hey, fix yourself up, and when you're ready to learn after you fix yourself up, then, then come to me. Jesus' call was, hey, come to me, follow me, and I will fix you. And his call is still the same in 2018. This was a radical, radical approach And it's good news. And it's the gospel. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The God who initiated the call upon your life will indeed change you. And Jesus calls, and he calls people just like he did. He calls Galileans, ordinary, sinful, separated from God people. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, it's recorded in Mark chapter 1, and here's the reality. It's the history of Hill City Church on those pages. Say, brother, we're a two-year-old church. No, 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 listen. Ordinary, sinful, separated from God people who God pursued. That is the history of Hill City Church. And it's the history of every gospel-centered church that is on this planet. And it's on the pages of the Bible. 
Because think about this. This is how it worked. Jesus pursued. Jesus initiated. And he has these disciples. And they responded. And then they declared. And then others responded. And then others declared. And then others responded. And others declared. And on and on and on. And now here we sit in a hotel room at Hill City Church. So let's go back to what I asked you on the front end about great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents because I did have a reason for that. Um, so my dad, Chuck Lotz, is the first person in my family, and I mean like in my family, like not little bitty. Uh, he's the first person on the tree to believe by faith and follow Jesus. And God pursued him and God initiated in a crazy way. And, and, and I can tell you with all joy, like heaven is going to be full of lotzes, like loud, opinionated lotzes. Because God initiated. And he continued to initiate and this wrecked family of Lotzes. Could it be you this morning? Could it be you that God uses to forever alter your family tree? Because here's the deal, like your kids, like they're gonna have grandkids. Your kids, parents, are gonna have grandkids and it's likely you never know them. It's likely they stay seated when a pastor asks if they know you. That's the reality. Your kids will have grandkids that likely will not know you, but here's the reality. They can know Jesus. And it be traced back to you. They can know Jesus because God might use you to proclaim to your kids and proclaim to your grandkids and initiate something in them, and then those kids respond, and then they do the same thing for generation after generation after generation. That's my prayer this morning. But here's the reality. To be pursued and called by God is the most important call. It's the most important endeavor in all of human history. Let's call it what it is. It's a big deal. See, no one is here this morning by an accident. We talked last week, God has authority. God is in control. We teach our kids, like right now your kids are being taught God is in charge of everything. He's never lost control. And you are here this morning on purpose. And here's the reality. God uses a lot of different ways to draw men and women to himself. Now they are all, it's always the gospel, but there are different ways in which we encounter the gospel. God uses different ways. He could use a spouse. He could use a song. He could use a sermon. He could use some suffering. He uses different ways, but it's always the gospel. And it's always him who will initiate. And here's the reality. Everyone in this room is familiar. You're familiar with the weight 
of sin and or the weight of suffering. And here, let me talk to the Christians in the room just for a minute. Let's never forget before Jesus, like we had, we had nowhere to go with this weight. Like we were unable to do anything about it pre-Jesus. See, before Jesus initiated, we were kind of hosed. But the truth of the gospel is this, that he further initiated and he continued initiating. He went to a, a cross and he carried the weight of our sin and our suffering and our shame. And he was buried and three days later he rose again. And now to the believers in the room, that's what we do with our sin and that's what we do with our suffering. We just dump it at the foot of the cross of Jesus and that is the gospel. And the reality is to the Christians in the room, I'm talking to followers of Jesus in the room, I have to tell you this, God started something in you, like he initiated something in you. He initiated an encounter with you. And he said to you, don't be afraid. He said, follow me, and you, you followed. But he's not done yet. Like he doesn't just initiate once. He's a great pursuer of you. He wants to initiate more. And he will ever and always continue to initiate. And the message is the same this morning to the believers in the room. Don't be afraid. God's doing something in your heart. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's calling you out of what you've done for the last 20 years, calling you into something new. He's initiating and you're scared and he's saying, follow me, but don't be afraid. My charge to you is let's keep going. My charge to you is the truth of Philippians chapter one where he says he, he initiated like he who began, he began the work in you and he's going to complete it. If you're not following Jesus and every, listen, listen, every Sunday there is multiple people who gather with us who are not following Jesus, just to be clear. If you're not following Jesus, by God's grace, you are sitting in a chair in this hotel this morning. And humbly, as humbly as I know how, I'm standing here in front of you just as an instrument, a gospel instrument. But it was Jesus who took initiative. You're not here on an accident. It is Jesus who took initiative. And could it be, could it be that you thought that you were here today to make your mom happy. Obligatory Mother's Day mention, check. <laughs> Could it be that you came here today just to make your wife happy? That's what you're thinking. Could it be we have young college students? Could it be you came here, you got one more chance for a summer to try to get a date? Like maybe that's why you thought you were here. Could it be? 
that you are hearing what is said this morning because God has you in the seat that you are sitting in this morning and it is he that is initiating something in your heart. Could it be that he is pursuing you this morning? I wrestle with this a lot. Daniel and I talk about this a lot. Like we, we don't really carry the weight of thinking we need to convince you or talk you into following Jesus. We're just going to fully and faithfully present the gospel. Because here's the danger. If, if we lived in this paradigm where we think, man, we got to convince them to follow Jesus. we got to talk them in to following Jesus. That's very dangerous. Because if we convince you to follow Jesus, the next guy out there is going to convince you to quit following Jesus. But when God initiates, nobody's convincing you to not follow. Second Corinthians 4, 4, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So we're just going to fully and faithfully preach the gospel. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's not that we're not good enough at convincing people to follow Jesus. There's bigger powers at work behind the scenes here we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because verse 5 would say, for we, what we proclaim is not ourselves. We just, we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, for God, the initiator said, let, line sh let light shine, try this again, let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're going to receive communion. And we are going to do it in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are going to do it as people who are stunned by the grace of God that he would call us, that he would initiate with us, that he would pursue us outsiders. God, I thank you for your word. God, it is so humbling to think that you, creator of the world, would pursue us, would initiate with us. We, we bring nothing to the table this morning. We can do nothing apart from you. That's my prayer that every person in the room would know this, Lord. I'm asking, I'm asking you in this moment for the believers in the room who are struggling, may they hear from you this morning to not be afraid.
God, to the unbelievers in the room this morning, it's my prayer that you in this moment will remove blinders from their eyes. You initiate, you pursue. May this be good news. In Jesus' name I pray.